What's happening? A great Tuesday to all of you. Thanks for joining me. As always, it is much appreciated. We have a lot to get to. We'll talk about Aaron Rodgers' injury. I will dismantle moral victory talk and why I can't stand that. We'll also get into the Patriots wide receivers. But before I do that, a couple of things. Number one, we are now available on Apple Podcasts. I apologize for the slight delay, but now you can get us on Spotify. You can watch us on YouTube. And now you can also listen to us at Apple Podcasts. And also want to give a shout out to a listener and viewer, L. Liverfin on X, as they call it now. He told me, hey, Nick, look, man, you got to get the comments. You got to get the comments on YouTube. You got to go back and forth with the community. Totally agree. 100% agree. Oversight on my part. Comments have been enabled in the YouTube world now for this show, for this podcast. So if you'd like to make a comment, feel free. Hopefully we can keep it civil. So thanks to uh, L. Liverfin on X for that reminder. All right, let's jump right into it. Let's let's start with what happened last night and how it could actually impact the Patriots. Jets, Bills, I think a lot of us anticipating this matchup. Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, we were all excited to see what the Jets would look like. I was tired of the Jets talk in the preseason. It made me puke. Like, enough is enough. And I understand. Look, I used to work for ESPN Radio. And I understand that the machine gets behind certain stories and they will continue to pump, 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 pump them tires. We had that. We had hard knocks. I was just a little tired by game one of all the talk from not only the media, but also the Jets themselves about how they were just going to go win the whole damn thing. So I was very interested to see what would happen last night. But I don't think any of us saw this coming as quick as it did. Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles, his fourth snap. As the Jets quarterback tears his Achilles, he's out for the season. That's been confirmed today, so he's donezo. Zach Wilson is the guy. And the first thought I have now is just Tom Brady's a freak. And we had all of these conversations about how Bill Belichick handled Tom Brady back in the day. And I've always said this, and I will stay consistent, and I know lots of people disagree with me on this, especially given the last three or four years. Bill Belichick handled Tom Brady like he was every other quarterback. And he was obviously the GOAT, and he did things that no one else has really ever done when it comes to playing at a high level once you hit the age of 38, 39, 40 years old at that specific position. Bill Belichick is a big history guy. He looked at history as the indicator, and he said, look, what are the chances that Tom Brady is going to continue to perform at 40 years old, 41, 42. Now, there's no doubt he lost that bet. He lost that bet. I would have lost that bet. But when you look at the quarterback position in the NFL, once you hit 39 years old, really nobody is like Brady. Now, Drew Brees had a couple of decent years at 39 and like 41. Of course, his arm was a wet noodle by the time he retired. But when you look at it, man, John Elway retired at 38. Peyton Manning fell off a cliff. At 39 years old, Ben Roethlisberger retired at 39 years old. And here's Rogers last night, 39 years old, fourth snap of the season, and he tears his Achilles and he's done. I'm also not even going to entertain the idea of Tom Brady going to the Jets. Give me a break. He had his podcast last night with Larry Fitzgerald and Jim Gray. He shot it down. He said he's content with his decision. He's done with the league as of right now. And I don't think there's any way, especially right on the heels of what he said on Sunday, being a Patriot for life. I do not see Brady 
all of a sudden jumping in to the game again to play for the New York Jets. I, I just I don't see it. And maybe I'll end up being wrong, and that's fine. It, it won't be the first time, won't be the last time that I've been wrong, especially about Brady. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just don't see him as a New York Jet. So inevitably, I, I know Patriots fans and myself asking this question today, and I think it's a reasonable question to at least ask, with Rodgers being out for the year and Zach Wilson now being the quarterback for the Jets, can the Patriots make a run at the AFC East? Can they make a run at this division? Yes, they absolutely could make a run at this division. And I will give you reasons why, because that's what we do here on this podcast. We don't throw crap against the wall. We give you reasons. We give you analytics. We give you numbers. We give you facts. So let's look at the rest of this division now, right? Let's start with Buffalo. Now, I thought Buffalo would take a slight step back this year before what I saw last night from Josh Allen. Allen was atrocious. He was an absolute freaking pig last night on Monday Night Football. Inexcusable performance from a guy who was seen as one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. Careless with the football, careless with his body. Now, I know he's had stretches like this. I know he's had certain games like this. And I know the Jets have driven him crazy in the past, and they drove him crazy last year. But again, careless with the football, careless with his body. He's leaping up into the air, four yards short of the first down marker, just asking to be hurt. It was a nightmare game from Allen last night. So I do have the questions of Josh Allen. When he's playing a very good defense, is he going to get careless in a big spot? Is he going to do that? He hasn't won an overtime game in his career. So there are some questions about Allen. I still think he's one of the most talented guys in the league, hands down. But we've seen, we've seen his lack of decision-making and the fact that he is willing almost every single second of every single game that he plays to put his body on the line and most of the time for no apparent good reason. So that's one thing. The Bills' run defense has also quietly been very mediocre the past couple of years. And last night, again, they gave up some big runs. I mean, you're playing against Zach Wilson at quarterback. The one thing you've got to do is stop the run. And Tredavious White, who is a tremendous corner, man, oh, man, did he blow two huge tackles in the game last night. One of them on the edge opened up that 83-yard run from Hall just again, bad execution, bad execution, not good run defense, which we've seen from this team before. And I do wonder, Brian Dayball not being with the Buffalo Bills, not being with Josh Allen as his OC in year number two now, is this when we see Allen take a step back and he kind of regresses to what we've seen at him being at the tippity top of his game? I don't think they're necessarily deep at wide receiver either. So we'll just keep an eye on it. But the Bills, there are reasons to believe they might take that slight step back this season. Miami, everybody's freaking out about the Miami Dolphins because they put on a show against the Chargers. I'm not here to tell you that that Miami offense isn't good. Mike McDaniel's a good play caller. His scheme, a la Kyle Shanahan from out in San Francisco, is very effective, even if you have a quarterback who doesn't have all of the electric tools you know, Tua has some tools. He doesn't have all the tools. But with that scheme and with the talent around Tua, that offense is going to put up points. Tyreek Hill is a beast. There's no doubt about that. Jalen Waddell is damn good. So they've got the pieces at the skill positions, and they've shown that. They showed that at times last year, and they showed that against the Chargers on Sunday. But a couple of things that, that I would 
I would sit back and, and tell Dolphins fans and Patriots fans, if you're thinking about this division in the big picture this season, pump the brakes a little bit. Pump the brakes. The Chargers, very undisciplined defensively. Very undisciplined. And they gave up a couple of huge chunk plays to Tyreek Hill that I think if you are disciplined, like we saw the Patriots be on Sunday for the most part against the Eagles, if you're disciplined against this offense and you're not giving up 40, 50-yard chunks to Tyreek Hill, you can somewhat limit the damage. The Chargers just open up the door wide open for Tyreek Hill. Just ridiculous. J.C. Jackson had a bad penalty at the end of the first half, which gave the Dolphins an extra play, which gave them points, which cost the Chargers the game at the end of the day. So we've got to look at the Chargers in that part of the equation. We also have to look at Tua. And Tua has a long injury history. He had an injury history in college at Alabama. He's had an injury history in Miami. His feet, his legs, the concussions, he has a long history. He's not the biggest guy in the world. So, yeah, I would be concerned if I were a Dolphins fan about the health of my quarterback and his ability to play 17 games. Can he? Yes. But would I bet the house on Tua playing all 17 based on his history? No, I absolutely would not do that. Oh, and by the way, everybody's paying attention to the Miami offense, but not many people are talking about the Miami defense. You know, the the Vic Fangio Dolphins defense Everybody was going bananas about that during the offseason. And I'm not telling you that that defense is not going to be good this year. It's one week. It's one game. But that Dolphins defense gave up 234 rushing yards to the Chargers in week one. 234 rushing yards and gave up 34 points to the Chargers. Now, I don't know about you. But if the Patriots defense gave up over 200 rushing yards against the Eagles and gave up 34 points, I know exactly what the local media would be saying about this defense here in New England. But they're not going to say much about that with Miami. They're going to highlight the offense, one of the tricks of the trade. We talk about everything here. Miami's offense, damn good. Miami's defense was putrid on Sunday. And their offensive line has some questions. Armstead at left tackles banged up. Is he going to play this week against the Patriots? Is he going to come back? When is he going to come back? Offensive line questions. The Jets, Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson. Did you see that pick last night? Oh, my God, was that brutal. That was a terrible read and a terrible pick. I love the fact that Troy Aikman called it out for what it was. That was horrific from Zach Wilson. And I know they beat the Bills, and I know it was a nice character-building win, but we can't overlook the fact that Josh Allen had not one, not two, not three, but four freaking turnovers in that game. You needed an 83-yard run to pop from Brees Hall because, again, White couldn't come up with the tackle. So I don't think you can go into every week banking on the other team, turning the football over four times, you getting a punt return touchdown, and, you know, popping that big run like Brees Hall did. You're not going to get that every week. You're just not. And the question inevitably is, how many turnovers will Zach Wilson have? And how much will that cost your football team in the long run? The offensive line's a problem. We saw it last night. A lot of talk about the Patriots' offensive line, and justifiably so in this preseason. But you saw it on hard knocks and it's been reported on. That Jets' offensive line has plenty of questions as well. So now you've got an offensive line that's a little leaky in front of a quarterback that kind of panics in Zach Wilson. 
not a recipe for success for that offense. They're going to have to run the football very effectively. And that defense, which is a top-notch defense, they're going to have to ball out every single week and keep teams under 21 to 24 points because I don't trust Zach Wilson lighting up the scoreboard week in and week out. It's not really his calling card. Oh, and by the way, the Jets' next five games at Dallas versus the Patriots versus the Chiefs at Denver and versus the Eagles. Very tough schedule the next five for Zach Wilson and company. Looking at the Patriots, can they make a run in the East? Again, they could make a run. I said before the season kicked off that their ceiling was 10 wins. Well, now I had them splitting against the Jets. If they can win week three in New York slash New Jersey, if they can beat the Jets at the Jets, and now with Zach Wilson at quarterback, and with this defense, I think that's absolutely on the table. Well, now if you win both games against the Jets, now your ceiling's 11 wins. 11 wins gets you squarely into the conversation of winning the AFC East. So could they win this? Yes. Do I think they win this? No. I don't think the Patriots win the division, but I do think their playoff chances went up last night with Rodgers getting hurt. And I do think that it's at least worth talking about whether or not this team can make a little bit of a run in this division. All right, we're going to jump to something else here. But first, I want to remind you, rate, review, subscribe, and like the pod. And here's the deal with that. I don't want to pound you over the head with this. But honestly, this is a one-man band. I said it in episode one. I'm an individual here. Don't have a big company with me. Don't have a production crew. This is just me. And the way this all works with the algorithms, especially with YouTube, is I need the likes. I need those thumbs up because if I don't get the likes, I don't get the reviews, I don't get the ratings, well, guess what? They won't actually show my stuff to other people. That's how this works. So if you like what you're listening to, give me that thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. YouTube will notice that and more people will have the opportunity to be a part of this community. So rate, review, subscribe, and like the pod. All right. I was thinking about the tagline for this podcast and for this show for a few days and I came up with Boston sports talk done different. And some people might say, what the hell does that mean? Boston sports talk done different. Nice little tagline, but what's it mean? What's the substance? Well, hopefully over the next few minutes, you'll pick up what we're putting down here at the Nick cattle show and why we say this is Boston sports talk done different. I don't want to come across as sanctimonious in this conversation because radio and podcasts, it's just content. And people have different ways of doing radio. They have different ways of doing their podcast. I'm not telling you that my way is the right way or how I see things is the absolute truth 100 times out of 100. There are different ways to skin the cat, so to speak. And there's a lot of shows out there on the radio and in the podcast world that have been very successful doing content the way they do content can be done in a lot of different ways. But here are my thoughts. And I would say here are my issues with the moral victory topic that just gets talked about every single time the Patriots lose a game and was talked about all day yesterday on the radio. There's a reason why I waited until today to talk about this because I knew everybody was doing it yesterday. And I wanted everybody to hear some of that stuff so then you could come back here and compare what they said to what I'm going to say right now. So here's the deal. The truth. 
the truth about quote unquote moral victories is that none of us know whether or not the game against the Eagles was a moral victory. None of us know because the very idea of a moral victory is that it meant something in the long run. If this team beats Miami, if this team goes on a slight roll here to start this season with a very tough schedule to start, if we look back, and this is a 10-win team, 11-win team, and we look back at week one and we say that that was an indication as to what was going to come moving forward, that the defense was going to play lights out against mobile quarterbacks, that Mac Jones would take a step forward, that Bill O'Brien was clearly a much better play caller than what we witnessed last year. And I'm pretty confident that's going to be the case no matter what because of what happened last year. If Adrian Clem coaches up the offensive line, if the rookies who we'll talk about in a little bit continue to contribute and get better and develop, if we can look back at this Eagles game and say that, that was a signal that was a signal for all of us to understand that this team was going to be better than many thought it was going to be, then yes, it was a moral victory. If they fall flat on their face, then that game on Sunday didn't really mean much. So the truth is none of us know if Sunday was a moral victory, okay? Now let me get into some more stuff. I find it disingenuous some of this moral victory talk. And I'll tell you why. Because I spent time at 98.5. I spent time at WEEI. I listened. I watched to both of those stations, right? And I heard so many times when the Patriots were winning, when the Patriots were consistently bludgeoning the AFC, when the Patriots were making it to Super Bowl after Super Bowl, an AFC championship game after AFC championship game. Do you know what I used to hear from all of those hosts, or at least most of those hosts, we got a job to do. We got a job to do, everybody. Yeah, they keep winning, but, I mean, we, we, we got to pick apart some of the stuff that they didn't do well because what are we here for? We got to pick apart the losses. Yeah, we know they're dominating. Yeah, we know they're like the best team in football. And, yeah, it's really weird to talk about going undefeated before the season kicks off, like a lot of that talk was happening years ago to only pick apart every single win by the team as the season was going along. It's a little bit of a, you know, mismatch there. But I heard a lot of hosts say to callers, listeners, texters, people on social media, I heard these hosts say, well, yeah, they won, but you can still take negatives out of a win there's still substance there, and I agreed with that. You can take you can take negatives out of a win, but why can't you take positives out of a loss? How does that work in the brain of some of these people? And again, they're going to do what they're going to do, but it just doesn't make any logical sense to me. If you are allowed to take bad out of a win, you should be, quote-unquote, allowed to take good out of a loss. Doesn't it work the other way around? You can't have it both ways. And so that's why I use the word disingenuous, because there is some of that when we have this conversation about moral victories. Taking some positives out of a loss is also not being happy about the loss. 
I hear hosts and, and, and I hear some people talk and even fans, you know, talk like this as if if you if you took some positives. If I said that the, that the Patriots defense played great against the Eagles on Sunday, does that mean I'm happy with the loss? No. Get out of my face. That's a huge leap. I'm just telling you the defense played great on Sunday and I'm still unhappy they lost the football game and are zero and one because I hate to break it to people. You can actually think both things. Both things can be true at the same time. The defense could play great against the mobile quarterback, which we've been waiting to see for years, and you are allowed as a fan or as a pundit, you are allowed to point that out and give credit to the defense while also being unhappy that they lost the game. Why do we act like that's not possible? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Just like you could be happy with a win – but still have some issues and criticize a certain element of the game that they won. Am I taking crazy pills? Here's another thing I'll say about this. It's a radio sleight of hand. And what do I mean by that? This moral victory talk, a little bit of sleight of hand from, from some talking heads out there. And I'm one of them. Look, I'm part of the media. I'm a talking head. I'm delivering content. But the sleight of hand is this. Some in the media will tell you that the Patriots, as they preview a game, have little chance to win that game. And they set the bar so low. And what they do for 85% of the week and 85% of their content as they preview a game is tell you why the Patriots won't win and tell you why their team isn't good enough and tell you why the Eagles will beat the Patriots handily or easily. They'll tell you why the Eagles will win by 10, by 14. They'll rip apart the defense against good teams and tell you, well, we got to see it. We got to see this defense play well against a mobile quarterback. And the sleight of hand is this. They build, they build the expectations for a game. And so what happens is most of their listeners go into a game like Sunday expecting what? They expect the Eagles to throttle the Patriots, to embarrass them, to beat them handily, to beat them easily, because that's what the quote-unquote experts have been telling you all week. So when the team plays better than you expected, what do you walk away saying to yourself? You naturally say, yeah, they lost, which sucks, but you know what? They didn't play that bad. They didn't play as bad as I expected them to. I mean, everybody I was listening to and watching said this was going to be a blowout or this wasn't going to be close. And the Eagles are the most talented team in the league. And look at these rosters and, you know, compare the talent on these rosters and it's laughable and blah, 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 blah. Well, I just saw a team that, hey, man, they fought tooth and nail after going down 16 zip in the first quarter. It wasn't as bad as I thought. And those same people that set your expectations to be super low, those same people will turn around and pick you apart for saying, yeah, but they were better than I thought they were going to be. Does that seem right? That's a sleight of hand. You're chastised for pointing out some positives after a loss. And part of the reason that you're doing that is because you have been almost conditioned to believe that the Patriots are going to get blown off the field. It's like if, if you expect to be a D student 
and you get a C. Are you thrilled with the C? Maybe not. But if you were anticipating being a D student, you'll take the C. So it was not an A performance from the Patriots, but many people were talking about this thing like it was going to be a C performance, and I thought it was actually closer to a B. The sleight of hand. Final, final thing about this. Context matters. Not every game is the same. We, we have to look at it individually, and we've got to say this. Now, trends are true, and there is a trend that the Patriots are losing games, that they could win tight games, even tight games against good teams. But this specific team and what we saw on Sunday, I'm not ready to pass judgment on this team and say, well, this is just like every other Patriots team the last couple of years without Brady. Because, A, they played nine freaking rookies on Sunday. Nine. Four rookies heavily depended on offensively your two starting guards Kayshawn Booty got 50 plus snaps Pop Douglas got 30 plus snaps but your four rookies on offense defensively you were asking your rookie cornerback Christian Gonzalez to defend AJ Brown and Devontae Smith he played every single snap in that game on Sunday Keon White was asked to do a lot Marte Mapu didn't play a ton showed his versatility and I'll get more into those rookies in a minute, but you were playing nine rookies on Sunday. That is an absurd amount of rookies to depend on, especially when you're going against the reigning NFC champions. So context matters. We say that on this show an awful lot because I believe in that. You had three new key members of the coaching staff, Joe Judge taking over special teams, Bill O'Brien, offensive coordinator, and Adrian Clem, offensive line coach. Do we expect those guys to develop as coaches and make this team better? We should. This was week one. So context matters. Those are my thoughts about the moral victory conversations and the sleight of hand that happens in the media that drives me crazy. And some of this just disingenuous talk. It drive you nuts. Don't forget, rate, review, subscribe, like the pod if you like what you're listening to. If you like what you're watching, it means an awful lot to us. All right, final thing I want to talk about today before I bid you adieu. Uh, wide receivers. Week one, we'll, we'll push the rookie talk to tomorrow, and we'll have a whole lot of other things to address as well on the show tomorrow. But let's talk about the wide receivers quickly here. So Juju Smith-Schuster had 43 snaps against the Eagles. That's 54% of the offensive snaps. Mike Cadlick from EEI tweeted today, Troy Brown met with the media. And as far as Juju's playing time on Sunday, here's what Troy said. Quote, just whatever packages we have in the game, those are the players we had on the field in certain packages. That was just the way it worked out in the game. Here's my question to Troy Brown and the coaching staff of the Patriots. Why is Juju not in a package that you trust enough in that spot in the game. Why is Juju sitting? Why, why is he not involved? He's supposed to be the at least the number two receiver on this team. Why is he not involved or included in these packages that you feel are the key packages you can go to on third and long or, or fourth down and, and long or fourth down and medium late in a game? Why is he not part of that conversation? Why is he not part of those packages? That's a red flag to me. 
I also heard Greg Bedard, friend of mine. Of course, I do the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast with him now twice a week during the season. You want to check that out. But Greg said that, you know, on the fourth and three route, Juju read he, he ran the wrong route. That Smith Schuster ran the wrong route on fourth and three. And if he ran the right route, the play would have been successful. And I heard Zoe earlier today hint towards that as well, which tells me somebody's talking in Foxborough about Juju Smith-Schuster's route running and why he was sitting late in the game. He also had a drop. You need more from Juju going forward. You said goodbye to Jacoby Myers, and you replace him with Juju. Juju has to be better. Devontae Parker, of course he was out on Sunday. He has played. Parker's played one full season in his NFL career. There's been one season in his entire career where he's played every week, and that was in 2019. And he's not going to do it again this year because obviously he was out on Sunday. Major questions about Parker's health. Kayshawn Booty had 55 snaps. Should you be relying on a sixth-round rookie wide receiver to play 55 snaps in week one and be the guy that you're throwing the football to on the final play of the game on a fourth and 12 that you need. And I like booty. Eh? I like pop Douglas. I think they could both be steals for the Patriots. And I'm excited about both of those guys. But with the other options you have, Henry, Gasicki, Smith, Schuster, Parker, Kendrick Bourne, all of those other options that you have and you were left on Sunday and I got to have it fourth and long throwing the football at the booty. And we all know how that ended. He couldn't toe tap. He couldn't stay in bounds game over. And I'm not going to, I'm going to try to not jump on this every single week, but I had a major issue with the Patriots not signing Deandre Hopkins and not being more aggressive to go get D hop. He was there for the taking. His contract with Tennessee is minimal, well below the contract that Odell Beckham Jr. got from Baltimore coming off of a couple of ACL injuries. And I hated the fact the Patriots didn't spend a little extra money to bring Hopkins in. And I can't help but look at that game on Sunday and say, man, Hopkins could have made a difference. And that's what I talked about when the move was not made. I said it, it just limits your margin for error. You don't have a huge margin for error to begin with. And now that margin for error got even tinier. And I brought up Devontae Parker in his injury history. I brought up Juju Smith-Schuster in his injury history. And so if you don't have to rely on Juju Smith-Schuster on fourth and three, maybe Hopkins makes the play. If you don't have to rely, even though he was really good on Sunday, if you don't have to rely on Kendrick Bourne to catch a third and 12 ridiculously tight window throw by Mac that hits you in the breadbasket and you drop it, if you don't have to rely on Kendrick Bourne and you have a true number one receiver to make a play like that, maybe Hopkins comes down with that. And if he doesn't come down with those first two plays, maybe he's the guy you're throwing the football to on fourth and 12 and he keeps his feet in bounds. DeAndre Hopkins would have made a difference in that game on Sunday. You can't tell me any different. Hopkins had seven catches, 65 yards for the Titans on Sunday, and that was with Ryan Tannehill playing a god-awful football game. Tannehill's quarterback rating was under 30. 
on Sunday. You can't tell me Hopkins wouldn't make at least one or two more plays than some of those other guys that were out there on Sunday. The margin for error is slim. Am I panicking? Not yet. Because here's the good news. I think the wide receiver position should improve. Again, I like Douglas. I like Booty. I have to imagine Booty will understand he's got to keep his feet in bounds, get both in. This isn't LSU anymore. This is not the SEC. I have to believe he will develop and get better. Demario Douglas, I've, you know, I've read the Evan Lazars of the world and other guys that break film down and Phil Perry, and they'll tell you about Douglas's route running, and Douglas seemed to have a good day when he was out there. He only played 33 snaps. I think Demario Douglas's snaps will increase as the year moves forward. I also expect the Patriots to have some semblance of a run game. They had zero run game on Sunday against Philly. I, I can't imagine that's going to happen this year. And if it does, this offense is in a tough spot. You can't be just one-dimensional. But I do expect Ramondre Stevenson to get going. I do expect Zeke Elliott to not fumble the football week in and week out. I hope that Cole Strange and Michael Wenu are close to coming back because those guys are going to help you big time with the run game and getting out to the second level and punishing linebackers and secondary cats. So that's the good news. I do think things will improve. I think Mike Gesicki, who started to become a little bit more part of the game plan there in the second half, I think Gesicki will you know, continue to improve. And aside from the big drop, and it was a big one, I thought Kendrick Bourne was mostly excellent on Sunday. I know he has some route running stuff, and you know Bedard will talk about his lack of recognition, man versus zone. But Kendrick Bourne, he made plays for you. And so I do think that uh, you know Sunday was not great for the receivers, a lot of up and down, but I do think there is absolute room for improvement, and I anticipate they will get better. Hopefully I get better. Hopefully the show gets better. Hopefully we all get better. Rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to like this podcast. Boston Sports Talk, done different. Just listen to that moral victory conversation. I don't think any other radio show or podcast is having that conversation about moral victories that we had today. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube. Listen, watch, help us out. Let's build this community. Episode two done. Back tomorrow. More Patriots. Maybe we try to mix in some Celtics as well. We'll see how that goes. But until then, be good, be safe, be healthy. And this has been the Nick Cattle Show.